2: The first, degree. first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life.
3: Each day after that, they found more bodies. So then it was pretty obvious that there was a killer. And then, and then everyone was terrified. You know, they came out and said, don't be with anybody that you don't know. And, you know, I didn't know anybody in town. So I was
4: like, great. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek, and I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. And happy new year to all. How does 2022 feel for you guys?
2: So far, so good. Yeah, so far, so good. It's a little chilly. <laughs> it's
1: a little chilly. It's been a few days now, and I'm settling in quite nicely, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, It feels the same. Eh. Uh.
2: I got back to my house after not being in it for a week and a half, and it was 50 degrees inside the house. Your house gets real cold, though, Billy. It's real cold and real hot.
4: Well, we had like a rain flurry in LA over the holiday season, which was quite depressing. So I'm glad that we're back to sunny skies over here. I know everybody else is probably not having the best time with their weather, but um, you know we're just trudging through January, trying our best. That's right.
2: Heading towards bleakness.
4: Heading for two weeks away from bleakness, <laughs> or two weeks away
2: from bleakness. We'll figure it out.
4: <laughs> yeah, Billy. What
1: day is it today?
2: Well, today is January fifth, and it's National Whipped Cream Day. What oh. a day! Yes,
1: I love whipped cream.
2: Whipped cream. Yes.
1: Oh yeah, the, eat it right out of the little squirty can. I used <laughs> to keep that. Used to be something I would always buy. That used to be like a staple because there's nothing in it. It's just like air and a little tiny bit of cream. And then I would just put it on whatever.
4: My mom's best friend, she would sometimes take Ambien and then Ambien makes you do weird shit. Like I used to text guys that I was casually dating some really fucked up shit. She would wake up in the middle of the night, sleepwalk into the kitchen and just Mm -hmm. get that whipped cream right into her mouth and then wouldn't remember it in the next morning. That sounds Mm. like a sober activity for me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, out of any activity that you, I mean, some people drive on Ambien, some people sleepwalk, like out of their house, like that is the most innocuous thing that I think that you could probably do on Ambien. Mm-hmm. Except for you don't remember the tasty treat you ate. But. A little treat for yourself. A little treat. Are there any other good days?
2: It's better than murder. It's National Screenwriters Day, too.
4: Oh, this we need that. This is them. one
2: thing. When I when I was little, I remember asking my dad, why is the screenwriter like not getting more credit? Like this is the guy that created the whole thing, yeah. And he he didn't really he wasn't a Hollywood guy. And then I realized that screenwriters are pretty much on the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to above the line people here in Hollywood. But well, I, I don't still think, think that's true anymore. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> it's still. I mean, not I don't great. think the
1: screenwriters listening would appreciate that
4: very
2: much. <laughs> Listen, no screenwriters do because they want more money and they do. They know they deserve it. Listen, I'm a writer, so
4: I I have no comment. I don't really know <laughs> anything about the wages of screenwriter writers, but I hope that they're being paid nicely. They have a day, so it can't be that bad. They have a day. Oh, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. sure.
2: And so does whipped cream, too. So, (laughs)
4: Yeah, that's kind of all the days. It's bleak. I think we got to get into the year to get some good days. Yeah. That's
1: right. And real quick, we just want to let you guys know that this is actually part one of a three-part story. We're giving you a really, really comprehensive look at this case. I know some of you like to binge it all at once, so we wanted to give you the courtesy to be able to do that if you want.
4: All right, well, that is enough of that. So let's turn up the lights.
1: And turn up your anxiety.
2: Because this could be you.
1: The things that happen in horror movies aren't supposed to happen in real life. That's why horror movies are so beloved. They have a way of tapping into our primal fears, our worst nightmares. And we enjoy the thrill because movies aren't real, right? Let's take the movie Scream as an example. A man in a mask stalking and brutally murdering the female residents of a small town. The circumstances presented in Scream are far too chilling and horrific to ever happen in real life. Or so we think. But it's wrong. Because Scream is actually based on the very real and very scary Gainesville Ripper. And while Scream revitalized the slasher genre, the Gainesville Ripper destroyed a small town, leaving thousands of people frozen in fear from knowledge that the storylines of horror movies can in fact be real.
4: So, we begin today's case on August 26th of 1990. And for those of you that are into astrology, this day was a Sunday under the sign of Virgo. Music goddess Mariah Carey's first number one single, Vision of Love, had been on the charts for 13 weeks. The movie Ghost had been out for over a month and was still number one in theaters. And after too long, the Berlin Wall was in the midst of finally being demolished. West and East Germany were two months away from being reunified.
2: The setting for today's case is Gainesville, Florida. Established in 1854, the city was named after Edmund Pendleton Gaines, who was a senior commander in the Army. Gainesville is probably most known for being a college town. It's the home of the University of Florida. In 1990, when our case takes place, Gainesville had a population of around 92,000 people, 42,000 students. And here's a fun fact I wanted to include. In 1965, the assistant football coach of the University of Florida Gators asked a team of university physicians to come up with a drink to prevent heat exhaustion in the players. The physicians ended up inventing a super successful beverage they named after the team, Gatorade. Ooh, a favorite of of mine. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm. Well, on another note, our first degree for today's case is named Sonia. And in August of 1990, she had just moved from West Palm Beach, Florida, to Gainesville so she could attend medical school. Gainesville was the smallest town Sonia had ever lived in, and she didn't know anyone there. But that didn't matter because Sonia felt safe there. Plus, she was there to focus on her studies, not her social life, right? Either way, for a young college girl living on her own, feeling safe is crucial.
3: Honestly, it was the smallest town I'd ever lived in, and I just thought it was really cute. I felt really safe there. I mean, I was very excited to be there. I was excited to start medical school, and I was excited about the town. I thought it was really a cute place.
4: Sonia moved into the Williamsburg Village Apartments, and they were one of the largest complexes near the university's campus. The apartments were also super close to campus, which was only a 10-minute walk away, and since she obviously knows more than us, we'll let Sonia describe the place herself.
3: It's very cute. They're a white, painted brick, colonial style. And I think there were maybe seven or eight separate buildings. And each building had a combination of, you know, one, two, and I think maybe even three bedroom.
1: Sonia recalls the layout of the buildings that made up her apartment complex. Those buildings are strange.
3: There's like three entrances. Like, if you look at the building, there's a door on the left, the door in the middle, and then a door on the right. So when you enter one of the entryways, if you go down, there's two one-bedroom apartments. And if you go up, there are the other two apartments. We all had a door to the outside, every apartment. I had a cat, and I would leave that back door open um, while I was unpacking and You know, the cat would kind of run in and out.
2: Feeling excited, Sonia and other med students arrived a few days before the semester started. The school had planned activities for first-year med students to get a feel for each other. One of the most anticipated activities was a pool party on Friday, August 24th.
3: We got there a few days early. You know, they had some activities for the new first-year medical students to get to know each other and so forth. And so one of the things we had done was a big pool party on Friday with just, just the first-year med students, and it was at the complex
1: that I was living at, Williamsburg Village. The pool party was a blast, and Sonia really felt like she was settling in and getting to know some of her med school classmates. Then, two days later on Sunday, Sonia went to the mall to buy a gift for an upcoming bridal shower that she was attending. And I had gone to the mall
3: that Sunday to get a wedding shower gift for a girlfriend back in West Palm. And when I came back from the mall, you know, that was when the whole building was, you know, surrounded with yellow tape
1: and couldn't get anywhere near it. Imagine coming home to this. Imagine Sonia's bewilderment. She needed to know what was going on, especially because no one was allowed into the buildings at this point. I mean, the first thing that I thought of was suicide. You know, I don't know. You just don't really want to think about it anything else or,
3: you know, gas leak. I don't know. It it wasn't clear at the beginning what had happened.
4: But here's the thing. At first, the details were really lacking. The only thing that her fellow residents, who were mostly students, knew was that two freshmen had been found dead in their apartment, which was in Sonia's building, which is fucking crazy crazy so hours later when sonia and the other residents were finally allowed back into their apartments they were still not given any information about what happened and sonia actually had to go to sleep that night without having any idea what happened to these two young women who were found dead in her building which is so terrifying
2: scary so what exactly happened at the williamsburg village apartments who were these two students and how did they end up dead tell the story in its entirety, you know the drill. We got to go back. Sonia
1: and her classmates would eventually learn the identities of the two freshmen who lost their lives on August 26, 1990. 17-year-old Christy Powell and 18-year-old Sonia Larson. She also learned that these women did not die in a tragic accident or by suicide. It was a situation much more sinister than that. They were murdered. And as you can imagine, our first-degree Sonia was shocked, especially to find out one of the deceased shared her same name. One of the girls that was in my building that
3: got killed, her name was Sonia Larson and spelled the same. She drove the same car that I did. She had moved from Palm Beach County like I did. I don't know, it was really strange.
4: Sonia Jane Larson was born on January 1st, 1972, to parents Ada and James. And Sonia was described as a reserved, sweet girl. She was an award winning artist in drawing and painting. And in the spring of 1990, she graduated from Ellie High School. And she had been an honor student and the girls' varsity basketball team manager. She also played softball and was a member of the Mu Alpha Theta Mathematics Society. Sonia applied to and was accepted at the University of Florida and she planned to major in early childhood education and then become a teacher. And we have a picture right here of Sonia. She has amazing like 80s big coiffed hair, which I am loving right now, and big beautiful brown eyes and such a beautiful smile. What else do you notice about her, Alex?
1: She has a petite frame and it's worth noting that all the victims connected with the Gainesville Ripper would end up being petite brunettes.
2: Yeah, she looks exactly like every girl in my high school. Every girl in my high school had that haircut. If you open up my yearbook, it's the exact same thing. It's the volume, baby. Mm -hmm. Sonia met her roommate, Christy Powell, that same summer of 1990. They're relatively new friends. Christy was also about to start her first semester at University of Florida. The young girls decided to be roommates, and they found an off-campus place in the Williamsburg apartments.
1: So we don't know as much about Christy, most likely because her parents didn't speak to the media when this all happened. But here's what we do know. Christina Christy Powell was born on November 30th, 1972. She's Sagittarius just like me. To parents Frank and Patricia, who had seven children total, so lots of siblings. In the spring of 1990, Christy graduated from Episcopal High School— where she played volleyball and softball. Christy was really excited to head off to college. She wanted to be an architect, designing housing for the poor. And we have a picture of Christy in front of us also. She also has big puffy bangs, long curly brown hair. She's wearing a cross around her neck. And, you know, she has beautiful eyes and a a smile. And it's just, it's sad to look at these photos. Her and Sonia are so similar
4: looking. Like, I bet if they went out and about, people would think their sisters are related in some way or another. Totally. So, Christy and Sonia moved in together, and it was only the week before the murders that Sonia Larson, Christy Powell, and our first-degree Sonia and the other students started moving into their Gainesville residences. And both Sonia's and Christy moved into their respective Williamsburg Village Apartments. But unlike our first degree, the two freshman girls never got to attend their first day of class. And that was set to start August 27th of 1990.
2: Only a few days after Sonia and Christy moved into their apartment, their families were unable to get a hold of them. The families knew the girls' telephone hadn't been installed yet, but Sonia and Christy hadn't even tried to get a hold of their parents from a payphone, which was both weird and worrisome. Since they lived closer, Christie's parents, the Powells, decided they would go to the apartment and check in on them to make sure they were okay. And what they did, what they found inside, was every parent's worst nightmare. You might even say something that only happens in horror movies.
1: When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus, and I couldn't practice enough, and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways, and with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences, and before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's True Accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash first today. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. University of Florida classes were set to begin August 27, 1990. And a week before, Sonia Larson, Christy Powell, and other students started moving into their Gainesville residences. A few days after Sonia and Christy moved in, their families were unable to get a hold of them. Since the Powells lived closer, they decided that they would be the ones to go to the apartment and check on their daughter and her new roommate, Sonia.
4: On August 26th, the Powells arrived at their daughter's apartment and banged on the door. They didn't get an answer. They found a maintenance worker, and then the police were called to help conduct a proper check on the girls. They made their way through the apartment and up the stairs, and the police found Sonia whose body had been raped and stabbed to death and then carefully posed. And according to John Donnelly, who had worked for the Miami Herald, he said all of her clothes had been taken off and she was lying back on the bed with her feet on the floor and her hair fanned out.
1: Yeah, the whole idea of the posing is something that's so scary to me because it's just like, you you know this isn't a second-degree situation. There's some yeah. sexual motivation. There's some shock value stuff, and it's just... Her poor Christy Powell's poor parents, you know, I just can't imagine making that kind of discovery.
2: In the downstairs living room, the police found Christy and she was similarly posed. Her clothes had been cut off and she'd been stabbed five times in the back. Investigators also noticed that the women had soap on their bodies, that the suspect had used duct tape on their mouths and hands, but he removed it before leaving. The police figured that this was an effort to clean up DNA, blood, fingerprints, hair, etc.
1: Okay, so remember when our first-degree Sonia described the Williamsburg Village apartment complex to us? So she told us that every apartment had a back door leading to a wooded area. That's the door she felt safe enough to leave open for her cat while she unpacked and cleaned up. Well, as it turns out, the back door is how the suspect got into Sonia Larson and Christy Powell's apartment. He simply jammed a screwdriver into the door jam and made his way inside. Where the
3: two girls got killed, they had a bigger unit, and so they were sort of on the second and third floors, but still had a door out the back to the wooded area. And then there was a door, you know, in the front of the building that would have been in the shared, like, hallway, but the doors to the back to the wood, just your unit had that door.
4: Meanwhile, Williamsburg Village residents had no idea what was going on. The police knew that two murders had occurred and the families of the victims knew, but that was it. And all Sonia knew that she had come home from shopping at the mall and her apartment was just cordoned off. She couldn't go inside until later that evening. And as you can imagine, rumors started spreading so fast about what was going on. And remember, this is a really small college town, so you can only remember what people were talking about. And the only thing that residents only knew for certain as... Two girls were found dead in one of these apartments, and that's it. And just like everyone else, our first-degree Sonia didn't know why the girls were dead, but she definitely didn't think that the girls had been murdered. I mean, what are the chances that in a single night, two people are murdered in a town that averages less than five murders a year? It seems pretty unlikely.
2: There had been a consistent police presence since the day of the murders, and Sonia finally got some information about what happened to the freshman girls, when police came to her door asking for the shoes that she had been wearing on Friday, August 24th. By this point, authorities had determined the girls had probably been killed on Friday, which was the same day of the pool party that Sonia had been attending with the other med students. So this means they were found two days later on Sunday, the 26th. The
3: police came by to ask for our shoes, what shoes we had been wearing on that Friday. So when I was talking to the police officer, I said well, we heard the girls died because is it possible that, you know, it was like a suicide type thing? And he,
1: and he just looked at me like, and shook his head like, no, <laughs> that is not the case. Okay. So now Sonia knew something terrible must have happened to these girls. She knows two murders occurred in her building. This is shocking. And Sonia doesn't have any close friends to express her fears or shock to at this point in town. Everyone in this town are strangers as well. Everyone just got there. And to make matters worse, Sonia had to attend the cadaver lab the day after the bodies were found. Because remember, she was in medical school. So the whole thing was just unbelievably unnerving, to say the least. They found the, the bodies in my building on
3: Sunday. And on Monday, I had to go start gross anatomy and cadaver lab where you dissect a human. So that was a little bit Hard to stomach. I I remember, you know, not getting any sleep that night and not even having the strength to put my contacts in.
4: And little did Sonia know, she'd be facing many sleepless nights in the months to come. Why? Because the killer didn't stop after two victims. He kept going, targeting innocent young college students. Each day after that, they found
3: more bodies. So then it was pretty obvious that. There was a killer. And then, and then everyone was terrified. You know, they came out and said, don't be with anybody that you don't know.
1: And, you know, I didn't know anybody in town. So I was like, great. There was no way of knowing if the murders of Christy and Sonia were an isolated tragedy. But the town would get an answer sooner than they expected.
2: 18-year-old Krista Lee Hoyt lived alone in an off-campus duplex located on a one-lane dirt road two miles from Williamsburg Village. Krista was born on November 20th, 1971, to parents Gary and Ann. Because of her bright smile, when she was growing up, she had the nickname of Glowworm. In the spring of 1990, Krista graduated from Newbury High School, and that fall, started at Santa Fe Community College in Gainesville, where she was an honor student. She wanted to be a police officer, and already got her foot in the door by working the night shift as the records clerk at the Alchua County Sheriff's Office.
1: And when Krista didn't show up for work on the night of August 26th, two police officers were dispatched to her house to see if she was okay. They showed up in the morning hours of the 27th. So, the 27th, right? We know the first two victims, Sonia and Christy, were found the 26th. So, this is all sort of happening in tandem. The police were dealing with this double murder at Sonia's apartment complex, which is chaos. And now they're finding Krista. So, this is all happening around the same time, which is awful and scary. So when they arrived at Krista's door, they knocked and got no answer, but headed inside. They made their way through her apartment, and then in her bedroom, they found Krista. Her clothes had been cut and torn off. She'd been raped and then stabbed to death as well. And there are a lot of details about the posing and um, all of these things. I will, We'll give one, but we don't want to get two in the weeds. She was decapitated and her head was placed on a shelf and then a mirror was used to sort of create a really scary, shocking image for whoever was to discover her. I'm not going to continue with the details because it's really, it's really sad and disturbing. Um, She too had been cleaned and just like at Sonia Larson's and Christy Powell's place, the killer had broken in through one of the doors.
2: I was a freshman when this was happening, too, in, in, you know, 1,500 miles away at Boston University. But I remember my dad telling me about this and this specific thing, because what this guy had done was he wanted to completely shock the person who would discover them, because it was sort of at eye level. When you would open the door on the bookshelf, the head was just right there.
4: The next day, the police announced that they believed Krista's murder was related to Sonia and Christie's. And Alachua County Sheriff's Office spokesman Spencer Mann said, quote, we just don't see this situation in Gainesville often. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that someone using mutilation is a sick person.
1: Yeah. And I think by this point, they know they're dealing with a serial killer and they're probably quietly freaking out behind the scenes um, because it's like the scariest thing you can imagine. And, like, imagine being a police officer and the the mounting pressure of having to deal with this. It's probably awful. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And also the school, too. You have all of these new students coming in. Uh, This was a panic. And with the prospect of a serial killer on the loose, the media was really running hard with the story. The news of these three teenage murders had gone national. And the media gave the killer a moniker, the Gainesville Ripper. This reporting threw those who lived in the area into really a frenzy of fear and anxiety. And the reporters were staking out all of the scenes looking for any kind of comment.
3: But I came across um, an interview that was in the Chicago Tribune where they had spoken to me and two of my friends at the pool. So, yeah, they were coming onto the property and every time you'd walk by them, they would yell at you to give them a statement. And, yeah, it was definitely a big circus for a long time.
1: Yeah. And the fact that Sonia was new to the area, had no friends, and now when she's trying to walk home, reporters are screaming at her for a comment. It's probably just like chaos. What a fucking nightmare. 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 Okay. So back to the media for a second. So while the news referred to the killer as a Gainesville Ripper, Sonia recalled all the students just calling him the killer. It's pretty ominous.
3: I don't remember my, my friends and I ever talking about the term, the Gainesville Ripper. I don't think we ever used that that term. We just called him the killer.
4: With the police and media talking about a serial killer being loose in Gainesville, the whole town was obviously frozen in fear. Mental health experts were brought in to help residents cope with this anxiety that they were feeling. And all of these students, especially those who were new to the area and didn't know a lot of people, were terrified that they'd be next. And as a result, women no longer walked anywhere alone. Newspapers even stopped being delivered, and pizza delivery drivers started telling their managers exactly where they were going and how long it would take to make the delivery.
2: Some students even decided that they weren't going to sit idly by. They were going to be proactive by protecting themselves. Students took turns on watch duty, some arming themselves with guns, bats, bricks, bottles, knives, anything they can get their hands on. Things were much less scary during the day, but when it got dark, people would panic. Anyone who saw a suspicious man called the police. They figured they were better safe than sorry. Students were so afraid they were calling the police every time they heard a noise come from the outside, even an innocuous one. Police started averaging 1,400 calls a night. It's one every minute. The cops were spread so incredibly thin, especially since they were also actively trying to solve these three homicides.
3: One night I was asleep... And there was a pounding at my door and the little foyer outside my area, mine and the person across from me is, is, was small. And I mean, this person was pounding very aggressively. And I went to the door and I looked through the peephole and said, who is it? And, and the guy says, it's the police and that I need to open the door. Who's wearing jeans? And I'm like, you know, you don't look like police to me. <laughs> so I'm not opening the door. And he said, we followed someone
1: into this area, and I need you to open the door. Sonia didn't know if this guy was a cop or not. He wasn't dressed like a cop. And with a killer on the loose, she was understandably reluctant to comply. So he held up his badge to the peephole, and I'm like, I can't read that.
3: So finally, he got, like, this cop that was in a uniform down into that little area so that I could see him. <laughs> And then I opened the door. This is what he told me after I opened the door. He wanted me to open the door so he could be sure nobody was forcing me to say that I was fine. But things like that kept happening, you know? You would just start to be like, oh, things are quieting down. And then you'd have that happen.
4: Parents of the students were hounding the police for information, wondering if they should pull the students from school. And to help soothe anxious parents, the Southern Bell Phone Company sent out extra workers to open home phone lines for students so they could reach their parents more easily. Because remember, this was a time before cell phones, and it's hard to remember that at all. But if you didn't have a house phone, you had to find a pay phone, and this is what a lot of the students had to do at the time. And despite this, some students dropped out of school for the semester— some students moved onto campus where they felt safer, and others moved into friends' apartments. That way there'd be a lot of people in one house, and they'd feel a lot safer. And some students, like our first-degree Sonia, actually moved in with faculty for a short period of time. A lot of the undergrads left. you I know, mean, Their parents came and picked them up. But they, some of the
3: faculty at the medical school offered to house some students. So the first couple nights. I stayed at a faculty member's house, but I had a cat and kind of couldn't do that long term.
2: Despite the terror that had taken over Gainesville, Sonia continued living alone in her apartment. If there was any silver lining to the situation Sonia was in, it was that the police were still investigating Sonia Larson and Christy Powell's murders, which meant that there were officers in Sonia's building 24-7.
3: People would ask me, aren't you scared to be in that building? But Honestly, it was the safest building to be in for about a month because they were there collecting evidence. I had a policeman, you know, sitting on my back porch, guarding the back of the building for like three or four
1: weeks. So they were around a lot. Even with the constant police presence, Sonia was still super careful and took extra precautions to protect herself. She stuck with her med school classmates, who she felt safe around, although now She's not sure she should have been so trusting. Just stuck. I stuck with a very,
3: the first group of people that I met that lived in those buildings with me. We walked everywhere together. I trusted them for whatever reason. I don't know, maybe, I think for a while we thought it happened Friday night, which was the night of the pool party. And since I was with them, most of the night I'm like, oh, it couldn't have been them. So I
4: just sort of convinced myself of that and just hung out in that
3: In that group.
4: Everyone in the community was on pins and needles, bracing themselves for another tragedy, but they remained hopeful that maybe, just maybe, these vicious slangs would stop as abruptly as they started. But that wouldn't be the case. The Gainesville Ripper struck again, this time taking two more young lives.
2: Three college students had been found slain in their Gainesville apartments. Sonia Larson and Christy Powell were found dead on August 26th, and the body of Krista Hoyt was found the next day. Then, two days later, two more bodies would be found, those of Tracy Paul's and Maddie Tabata, both 23 years old. They were found in the Gatorwood Apartments, which the Chicago Tribune described as a big complex of wood-sided, three-story buildings with balconies.
1: Tracy Inez Pauls was born on October 4th, 1966, to parents Ricky and George. She graduated with honors from American High School in Miami. Tracy was a very busy student, and not only did she play softball and soccer, she was also the homecoming queen and class president. Tracy wanted to be a lawyer and worked at a law firm before enrolling as a pre-law student at the University of Florida. She chose to live a 10-minute walk away from campus on the ground floor of the Gatorwood Apartments with her close high school friend, Manny.
4: Manuel Ricardo Manny Tabata was born on September 14th, 1966 to parents Gladys and Manuel. And according to his brother, Mario, Manny was an outgoing, charismatic, spur of the moment, day by day individual. He graduated from the same school as Tracy. He was also an honor student and he played guard on the football team and was the president of the Thespian Club. He was doing a lot. And Manny wanted to be an architect and was looking forward to studying the subject at university.
2: On the morning of August 28th, a friend called the maintenance worker at Tracy and Manny's apartment, saying they hadn't been seen lately. Police arrived at their building at around 8.30 a.m. and made their way inside. There they found Tracy's body on the living room floor. She had been raped and stabbed three times in the back. Her clothes had been cut or torn off. Her body was posed and there was soap on her lower body. She also had duct tape residue on her wrists and mouth.
1: In a bedroom, police found Manny... It was clear a struggle had ensued. He fought hard against his attacker. And it should be noted that Manny was over six feet tall and more than 200 pounds. So this led the police to believe the killer had to be as big, if not bigger, than Manny. So Manny had been stabbed many times in the arms, hands, chest, legs, and face. And unlike the previous victims, Manny's body was not posed. And just like with all the cases before, the killer broke into the house through a door. Manny's horrible slang was also unlike the other murders in that he was a man, which meant that not only would the local women have to fear for their lives, but now men would too.
4: With two more victims of the Gainesville Ripper on their hands, police continued working as hard as possible to track down the killer and bring him to justice. It might not have seemed possible, but the town was more scared than ever hearing the news of Tracy and Manny's deaths police officers still had a looming presence at Sonia's apartment, which made her feel safe enough. But just like many other Gainesville residents, Sonia, she was on high alert and would continue to be for months to come. I also remember
3: just being very easily spooked, you know. I probably called the police more in that three or four-month period than I did the whole rest of my life. My brother sent me a, a gun, You know, and I would practice, I would set it on the nightstand and I would practice grabbing it. And I mean, I guess it was great that I lived alone. That's what my brother told me. He's like, well, you live alone. So if you see anybody in your apartment, then
2: they deserve to be shot. (laughs) So just shoot. The news of two more victims spurred more rumors and speculation around the campus. We were all
3: talking about he has to be a student to fit in. They were all student apartments, pretty much. He would, you know, really stick out. So, yeah, we
1: thought it was probably a student. At least I did. It just made more sense to me. The rumors evolved, and because some of the victims had been dismembered, rather precisely, there was speculation that a medical student or professor could be responsible for these serial slayings, which, again, was particularly unsettling for Sonia, Because she was in medical school, these were her colleagues and professors and peers. She refused to consider the fact that the killer could be someone she knew, someone she was in the same room with every day, learning about medicine. Then the police showed up and started interviewing med school students. And Sonia was forced to face this as a real possibility. Based on the last woman that he killed, Krista,
3: he had um, moved some furniture around And so there was the rumor that he was, you know, it had to be two people that were doing it. They talked to a lot of people in the medical program because they thought he had some surgical skill. I guess he took off body parts.
4: The more Sonia thought about it, the more the medical student theory really seemed believable. She started freaking out, questioning if she was going to school with the killer. Then another thought hit her. Was the killer one of the staff members, maybe a cadaver lab technician?
3: I remember just being really freaked out by them. <laughs> I
0: remember thinking, must be one of
4: them.
3: You know, yeah, I, I think the surgical part of it was definitely made uh, going to uh, class. And, you know, you go to the lab in the evening, which is, you know, bad enough when, when you're in an anatomy lab in the evening. But... That made it that a little a bit more scary for sure. Just thinking that it could be one of the, one of the staff there.
1: The momentum of the panic in the community had not waned when the shocking news of a different kind began to spread. It wasn't news of another murder though. Quite the contrary. A suspect had been arrested. There was a rush of relief, followed quickly by many questions. Who was the suspect? How did they catch him? How could any human being do the things that had been done? And finally, did this mean the city of Gainesville was now safe again? Did the police really have the Gainesville Ripper in their custody? The answers to all these questions and more, next week in part two. And this will be a three-parter. It's that good. It's that dense. We're sorry in advance, but you'll, you'll thank us.
4: Well, a huge thank you to Sonia for being our first degree on this episode. She's going to be with us for the next two episodes as well. If you're listening out there and you have a story to tell, you can email us, hello at podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at thefirstdegree at Billy Jensen at Alexis Linkletter at Jack Vanick. Join our Facebook group. We are talking true crime all of the time and stick around tomorrow because we're going to have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed.
2: Remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close.
1: But not close (laughs) happy whip cream day what a day oh my god delightful and screenwriters day thanks for all the good movies
2: thank you to the screenwriters
1: shout out to jared monaco for scoring original music for the first degree our producer caitlin cleveland and our wonderful writing by Haley gray sources for this episode are the orlando sentinel first coast news abc news shreveport times miami herald upi and as always our first degree guest is always our largest source